Thank you, worship team. Our passage this morning that we're going to be reading from comes from Isaiah 40, the Old Testament prophet who said so much about Jesus' coming. Isaiah chapter 40, we're going to read the first 11 verses. And if you don't have a Bible, there's a blue Bible in front of you on page 599. And as you find uh, your way there, I was reminded of preaching in Peru many years ago. And uh, I got to the end of the sermon, and I had not talked to the people about my sermon, but as I was closing up, music started playing. And I was, afterwards, I told the pastor, I said, that's awesome how you guys timed that. I mean, that was incredible. And they said, oh, they, they didn't time it. When, when the sound people get tired of you preaching, music comes on. <laughs> So I was a little nervous with the bells staying in the seats because <laughs> I thought some kids and maybe some parents would say after about 10 minutes, let's start ringing that bell. Let's get Paul to move on here Christmas Eve. Isaiah 40. Let's stand together as we read these 11 verses. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? Cry out that all flesh is grass, and that the all beauty is like a flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes with might. His arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with, with the young. You may be seated and let's take a moment to reflect together on God's word. How many have heard that song at some point during this last uh, four weeks of Advent season? If you're familiar at all with it, you recognize it as part of Handel's Messiah. George Frederick Handel in 1741 sat down one afternoon and started composing furiously. In fact, he worked so hard and so long without a break, his fingers would become numb and he couldn't hold the pen anymore. And he worked for 24 straight days and he came out with a 260-page masterpiece. Can you imagine that? 24 straight days. He comes out with 260, 260 pages, 53 songs or 53 movements. And this movement or song is the first song that has lyrics. 
there's an introduction, kind of a song in the, at the beginning of the Messiah that's just music, and then this is the first song that has any lyrics, and it's lifted from Isaiah 40, as you noticed. And my question really is, if you could launch a masterpiece about the Messiah, which this clearly is, and you had an opening song that was going to start capturing the attention of people, why would you use Isaiah 40? I mean, of all the things you could say, and especially, you know, you want to make a good first impression on that first song with lyrics, why, why choose Isaiah 40? Now, I, I can't be sure why, but I think that in order to see the Messiah who Handel is going to write about, you have to know that you need a Messiah. That's like the first step, right, in, in, in understanding anything about needing a Savior is you have to first know you need a Savior. You have to be looking for a Savior. You have to understand, hey, I'm a person in trouble. I, I have needs that extend outside of myself. There's something about the hole in my heart that I can't fill with anything from the world, and I'm, I'm in need in some way. And so he starts his, his, his whole piece about the Messiah with Isaiah 40. And maybe, maybe we need to ask ourselves this Christmas Eve before we start, just how do we see ourselves? Do you see yourself as a person in need, in trouble? in a position that the other things that the world may offer, they're not going to really fix the real problem that you have. If you don't see yourself that way, then you're never going to see the Messiah. You're never going to see the true Savior of the world. The first audience that heard Isaiah 40, they, they knew they were in great trouble. They, they heard this as comforting news because they were in trouble and they put themselves in trouble. And if we had time, you could read the first 39 chapters and you could see Isaiah, the prophet, saying, guys, what, like, what are you doing? You, you know all about the Lord, but you're hungry for everything in the world. And, and you know the world isn't satisfying. You've been told it, you've experienced it, but somehow you just have this religion that's great on the holidays, but the rest of your life you're living for the world. It, you've got to turn from the world and trust in God's word. And he preaches this over and over and says, if you don't turn around, there's going to be some kind of discipline and it's going to hurt. You're going to feel like, hey, I'm in trouble. And so at the very end of chapter 39, Isaiah has to come to the king and has to give this bad news to the king, whose name is Hezekiah, 39 verse 5. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Interesting. The word of the Lord of a great army. He's part of a great, the Lord is the head of a great army. Behold, the days are coming, Hezekiah. When all that is in your, day, in your house and all that which your fathers have stored up to this day, all the things that are in your retirement that you've earned, all the things that were in the retirement of your dad that he gave to you, it's all going to be carried away by Babylon. 
And just to enforce it, nothing shall be left. In Hebrew, you know what that means? Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons, imagine this, who will come from you, Hezekiah, whom you will father shall be taken away, and they shall be made eunuchs, and they'll work in the palace of another king, the king of Babylon. I mean, what a tough, what a tough message to this crowd of people who have just become religious, but they're not really following after the Lord. They're just here for the holiday season. And you can't even appreciate how devastating this must have been for this audience because this audience had their patriarch as Abraham. He was the one who was called out of Babylon. Remember that? He's coming out of Babylon and he's the one who's going to be the father of a great nation. And so they thought, hey, God has favored us. And he's coming down and saying, hey, you guys are going backwards. You're going back to Babylon. The very place I've called you out of, you're placing yourself back into that place. 1,300 years later from Abraham's first call, now his own offspring are returning. And some of his sons will be eunuchs. Their, their future will be cut off. Their future will be neutered. And when this happened, these people began to say, I'm in trouble. I'm in the kind of trouble, I've put myself in this kind of trouble, and I can't get out of it. It seems hopeless. I need something from the outside. They, they feel so cut off they even say in chapter 40, verse 27, it seems like God can't find me. You see this? Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by God? It's like they think they've fallen off the map, and even God can't find them anymore. They're in a hopeless place. And it's precisely at this low, hopeless moment, the Lord gives to Isaiah a word of hope. And that's Isaiah 40. It's a turning point in the whole book from verse chapter 39 to chapter 40. And it's the word of hope that Handel begins with. Because Handel wants to reach people who already understand that they're in trouble. That the world can't satisfy what they're looking for. They've tried that and they failed and now somebody's coming and say, hey, there's still hope in this God that you sort of put on the shelf. There's still hope from this God of, in a great word, all comfort. Comfort these people, Isaiah. Speak tenderly to them. And maybe these are the words that you need to hear this Christmas Eve. The same words that the Israelites heard those, this many years ago. Speak tenderly and speak these three things. Verse 2, the war is over. The war's over. Your iniquity has been pardoned. That's the best news you could hear. Secondly, behold your God. You've gotten your eyes off of some, something else, so let, let's, let's refocus and behold God Almighty. And third, understand this, the word of our God will stand forever. 
So I know there are other words out here and there are other narratives and there are other stories and there are stories that we have in our mind that we tell ourselves. None of that lasts forever. This lasts forever. And these are the three things that come together to comfort these people. And I want to just show them to you very briefly this morning. Verse 2, the war is over, the iniquity is pardoned. This has a little bit of the feel, and I hope you don't have to do it in the next 48 hours as a parent, that has to discipline their child. Right? This is a hard moment to discipline your child during the Christmas season. And most of you have experienced this as a child or maybe as a parent. You send their child because of their disobedience or their attitude to their room. And it feels cut off. They, they're in their room. We're in the rest of the house. We're somewhere else. And then the parent comes into the room. Why? They, they want that restoration. And they don't come in and say these words, but it's the same thing. It's like, hey, Zachary, hey, Morgan, the war's over. Let's get back into being a family again. This is the sense that Isaiah is coming to these people. Hey, I, I, you all did something that was disobedient. You have paid for it. But I'm coming to tell you right now, the war, the war is over. Everything you've done has been paid for. In Luke chapter 2, the angels announce the arrival of the Messiah. And when they say... Glory to God in the highest and on earth. What do they say? Peace. You, you see, the, hear the echo of Isaiah 40? I've come to give you good news. What's the good news? The war's over. The war between you and God, the war that you couldn't possibly win, the war that you couldn't come back around on, you, 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 it's all over because he's done something. The war's over. And 33 years later, when Jesus cries out on the cross, it is finished. It's the same thing. Hey, the war's over. Let's come home. No matter how far away you are this morning, no matter if you think, I've gotten so far away, I don't even think God Almighty could find me. He's coming today to say, let's end the war. I'll completely pardon you. Just turn and trust in me. Second thing that brings comfort is now that you've turned, behold, verse 9, behold your God. Do you see what he says? Go to a high mountain, herald the good news, lift up your voice, say, behold your God. Behold, stare at, be amazed, be captured by, the same way you might be captured by your retirement statement, the same way you might be captured by your Instagram feed, and just hours go by and you think, what have I done with my life? And you're just staring at it and it's as if nothing else is happening in the world, you're beholding this thing. Let's behold God that way. Let's just stare and get lost in the greatness of God. Six years, years ago in December, my first grandson was born. Daniel Paul Phillips. Oh. <laughs> I 
And so I'm at the hospital with my wife with, on the day of arrival. And when the appropriate time comes in, we're in the room and I'm holding little eight-pound Daniel. And I noticed after a while, my son and daughter were trying to have a serious conversation with me. And it had been going on for some time. <laughs> and they're like, Dad, are you even paying attention? What was I doing? I was beholding. I mean, nothing else mattered in my whole life at that moment because I was beholding someone. I was beholding hope that life is going to move forward in a unique way. That, that's the feeling. And, and maybe you've, you've beheld so much of the world, you don't really know how to behold God. And this is a call to say, begin to learn how to behold the Lord. Make it the center of your attention. Make it so that everything else starts to fade in comparison. And Isaiah, I wish we had time to talk about it, but throughout this, this chapter, he has like a, a tidal wave of greatness. Verse 12, God can hold all the oceans of this world in the cup of his hand. Verse 15, the nations, even the most powerful ones like Babylon or America, he compares to a drop out of a bucket. Verse 26, God names every star. Now, I don't know how you come up with the number of stars, but at least Google will tell you there's 200 billion trillion. So that's a two with 24 zeros. That's a lot. I mean, even if you're off by a little, that's still a lot of stars. And he has named every one. See, it's, ama it's amazing. He's amazing. He's, he's someone you can behold. So when you behold the stars, you go, okay, there's somebody who knows every one of them and has given them a name. It's amazing. But the main thing that Isaiah wants you to behold are these things. First, verse 3, behold, behold, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Behold, God is coming to you. This is the good news. God is coming to us. He doesn't wait for you to make the first move. Like I'm waiting as soon as Paul turns around. No, he's coming. He, he doesn't wait for you to clean up. He doesn't send down directions on how to get to him. That's, that's not what the Bible is. Like a great Google map to heaven or something. No, that's not what it is. This, this is God coming. And he doesn't anticipate that you will or even can clean yourself up. He's going to come and grab you in the mess of your life right now. And he's going to, he's going to behold you. And he's going to take you home. I'm sure I've shared this story somewhere along the way. My son, uh, Zachary, a real messy eater at two. You know, just like you had to have like a four-foot zone around him. Like if you enter in, you're going to come out messy. And he was eating something. And my wife was pregnant, so she couldn't have the smell of like the squash and the carrot. These things smell terrible, even if you're healthy. But if you're pregnant, they really smell bad. And we're feeding this stuff to our son, as all good parents would. And he, as a good two-year-old, was like, I'm rejecting this. 
and he just throws up all over himself, all over the four-foot zone, and he starts crying. And my wife says, hold him, Paul. <laughs> oh, everything I have in my heart for my son, I was like, not a chance. I mean, <laughs> no way. So I'm getting the sprayer from five feet away, you know, in my kitchen. But that's not how God does it. God comes in your, the biggest part of your mess and he grabs hold of you because he loves you. He's coming for you. He's not waiting on you in any way. He's going to come. And behold, he's going to come like a shepherd, it says in verse 11. Do you notice that? Like a shepherd. It's Notice the pic, tender picture. He's going to gather us up in his arms. He's going to carry us home. He's not driving us home like we're cattle. The Lord Jesus Christ is carrying Paul Phillips home. And every day he reminds me, Paul, the war's over, buddy. I paid for it all. I'm going to get you home. That, that, that is a great comfort. And if you don't know that comfort, I'm hoping that in 2023, this is the year you would know that. And finally, and I don't know which part's the most important, but this one is, he comes, notice in verse 10, he comes with recompense. This isn't a word that we use very often. It's very important it means to compensate for previous sufferings. You and I, to get home, are going to have to suffer. That's not a newsflash. And when God comes, he's going to compensate for those sufferings. So, so how do you find comfort in a culture full of suffering and injustice? How do you move forward in faith when so much of what you see seems unfair? The answer is you trust in a God who comes with recompense. That you trust in a God who at the end of this timeline will compensate for all of life's devastations. There will be a time when there will be a healing of all your harms. That's comforting. The prophet Joel, who comes after Isaiah, who sees the invasion of Israel by Babylon, he writes this, What the locust swarm has left, this is the Babylonian invasion, the great locusts have eaten up. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. A nation has invaded my land, powerful and without number. That's his description of the Babylons coming into Israel. And then he says, in a comforting way, when God returns, Joel 2.25, I will restore you, I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten away. What great news. Recompense. I will compensate for previous sufferings. Now this is hard for us to imagine. But here's what we need to behold. In the next world, God will restore all the devastations and injustices that you experienced in this one. That's what helps you go forward. 
If there is no recompense, if there is no reckoning, then we're all just stuck. Like that just happened to me and I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm telling you what is going to happen because the word of the Lord is going to last forever. There's going to be a day of recompense. There's going to be a day of restoration. That's how you move forward. And finally, the last word of comfort here is the word of our God will stand forever. You notice how he uses the illustrations that we would all know from verse 6, that the grass in all its beauty, the flowers of the field, as beautiful as that sort of picture may be, they all wither and fade. Just like people, we wither, we fade. But there's one thing that lasts forever, that's the word of the Lord. Isaiah reminds the people even though they see themselves withering away, eventually God will come and restore. There's a true story about a pastor who attended a pastor's conference, a meeting. And he came in with this other group of pastors and said, hey guys, I've seen it all now as a pastor. So all the pastors are leaning in. Oh, what good story is this going to be? He said, well, I've got a young pastor on my staff. So Matt, you want to take notes here? He's officiating a wedding, and he got a little wound up during the wedding, and this is a bad thing to happen. He got off script. So he just decided to sort of just, you know, free speak for a few minutes to this couple, and he looks at the groom named Robert, and he says, Robert, you look at your wife. She's radiant. There never has been a more beautiful bride. You love her with all your heart, but one day, many years from now, you're going to wake up, and she's going to look like her mother. This is not, I mean, Matt, this is, never say this, my friend. Will you love her then? Mm, mm. So what did everybody in the wedding do? They looked at the mother, right? Like, oh my gosh. It's funny, but it illustrates what Isaiah is saying, does it not? I mean, who's more beautiful than the bride on her wedding day? Everybody wants to be the bride on the wedding day. This is the radiant moment. And we all have these radiant moments, or we all have these radiant things that seem like they're beautiful, they're going to last forever, they're going to fill up my soul. But what is Isaiah saying? Oh, they're going to fade. They are going to fade. The new boat, the new car, the new gadget, whatever. I I hate to burst your bubble, kids, but whatever you get, yes, tomorrow morning... You probably won't even remember it next year. You'll say, what did I get? And your parents will go into all kinds of problems trying to get you this thing that you'll say, oh, it's broken now, or I lost it. That, that's how life is. If you're investing in something other than the word of God and who Jesus is, you're investing in something that is going to fade and wither and pass away. But behold, behold your God. If you're a person who feels like my life has fallen off the end of the world, I don't even know if God can find me, take comfort. He is coming for you. You don't have to do anything first. Begin to stare at him and wonder. 
know that like a shepherd, he's going to pick you up and he's going to whisper in your ear like he does mine and says, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm going to get you home. Let's pray together. Well, we're so grateful for every noisy voice here. It's part of our life as we travel through and we are trusting in you and your word. At every stage, would you like a, a mother trying to comfort their child, reach out and put your arm around us and say, hear my words of comfort to your soul. I've come for you today. I want to take you home. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.